My name is Michael Smith or Mick Smith, and uh, so I'm, I'm glad to, to be with you on this time. There are in, in life some few occasions where our basic understanding of what's going on is so important that it really means everything. Here's an example. When you leave here Saturday, if you're intending hypothetically to drive to Chicago and you drive for several hours and you see this sign, (laughs) you've really messed up. There is no amount of skillful driving or fast driving or cautious driving that's going to get you where you need to go. And so your options are to recalibrate, recalculate, or to turn around. I believe that this question of the nature of God's kingdom and how it connects with our health ministries really is one of those very, very fundamental, foundational matters upon which everything else is built to the extent that if you you build a crooked foundation for your house, guess what the house is going to look like? But... And this flows out of my sense that just about everything about the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus was grounded in a profound, earth-changing vision of God's kingdom. And I think our health ministries should be shaped by a similar vision. Now, at the same time, that can, you know, having listened to this much so far, you might think, oh, brother, is this going to be a doctrinaire session or what? This guy thinks he's got it nailed down. Well, I am, I am more nervous about this conversation today than anything else I've talked about in a long time. And I prayed for you. I prayed that God would bring together some sisters and brothers who can share in this learning journey. Because I I really believe it's not about getting it right, but it really is about being on the journey, being committed to to learning and persisting in this journey. And I love this prayer by Thomas Merton. Some of you may have seen it. And I think it's very appropriate to this specific topic And if you can see it well enough to read it, let's read and pray this prayer together. If if this matches your spirit as much as it does mine today. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I'm sorry to laugh there, but that's true. Uh, I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. 
I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I mean about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. The kingdom of God was obviously central to the life and ministry of Jesus. The term kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven shows up 122 times in the Gospels, and 90 of those times, they are on the lips of Jesus himself. So he starts his ministry in this way, according to Mark's Gospel. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the question for us is, what did Jesus have in mind when he said the kingdom of God has come near? I believe that it's a lot bolder, a lot broader than anything I ever envisioned when I was in Sunday school as a kid. I don't think Jesus thought of the kingdom of God as a religious concept or a doctrine. I mean, remember, John's Gospel says, this Jesus that we're talking about was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. And so, When Jesus is talking about the kingdom, I believe that he is talking about a cosmic reality. When he says the kingdom has come near, I've come to believe. He was was saying the reality of the universe is very different than what we have thought, than what we knew. And so his ministry of teaching about the kingdom and everything else that he did was an unveiling of reality, that this is the way the universe is. So his, here's my, my belief, and here's where I need your interaction and your thoughts, and I really want to... to, to find ways to remain in conversation with you and hear your wisdom and your insights. It seems to me that everything Jesus did and said and taught was unveiling the reality of the world of of life and hope. So, okay, back to this, how he started in Mark's gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom has come near. Repent. Believe the good news. Look at the sequence there. First of all, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is breaking in. 
I love the way I've, I've read a couple of people who say that when he announced the kingdom, it, it was like he was saying, like some of you know um, of E. Stanley Jones, who was a Wesleyan missionary in India back in, what, 1930s and 40s. He said, the kingdom of God is our cosmic home. It's the future of the universe. And the kingdom of God is simply where God's will is done. And so his vision is that the future of the universe is breaking into the present. And Jesus was the leading edge of that. I'll say a little more a little later that Jesus himself is the kingdom. He embodies the kingdom in who he is, what he does, and what he taught us. So first of all, Jesus starts out by saying, The kingdom is near, has come near. So you have to repent. You have to turn around. And so the basic notion of that is, folks, you're headed the wrong direction. You are headed in a direction based on what you believe to be the reality, the real nature of the universe. But folks, you're headed in the wrong direction. And so repentance is the only response. And repentance always means turning around. It's not just a matter of change your mind because the Lord created us as inseparably integrated body, mind, and spirit. And you can't just change your mind. You have Repent means turn around. And then believe. Okay, believe, right. Okay, I believe, I believe. Okay, what's next? But... To to believe means to live into what you believe to be reality. So it's way beyond propositions and ideas and formulas of correct doctrine or orthodoxy. I think we as humans, I mean, just from observing human behavior, I think we do live according to what we think is reality. Now, one, one silly example for me. I still do not understand how tens of thousands of pounds of metal and plastic and rubber and wires with several tons of human flesh can lift off the ground and take me from one place to another. I still do not understand it. But I have come to the point that I am willing to risk my life on the belief that aeronautical dynamics do make that possible. I mean, so I'm trying to illustrate the nature of what Jesus meant when he said, believe the good news. Believe the good news. Our lives do illustrate what we believe about reality. I've wondered, some of you are educators, I expect. Have, have you ever seen a test? And I have not. That's why it's not a hypothetical question. Have you ever seen an assessment instrument that will, from observed behaviors, then deduce operational values and beliefs? Have any of you ever seen one? Because I would really love to see one. 
because we spend a lot of time talking about what we believe. But I, th- so I, has anybody seen one? Do you know of an instrument that's that's used of that type? <laughs> An alarm clock, right. But but we do live according to what we believe to be reality. And again, the airplane, all of this is to say that when Jesus talked about the kingdom, I think he was unveiling the reality of the universe that is the true truth. Not hypothetically, not conceptually, but is woven into the fabric of the universe. So how did Jesus define the kingdom? That's the question. How did Jesus define the kingdom? Well, he said that the kingdom of God is within you. Oh, yeah, that's telling where it is. I know. But before that, before we get to that, we've got to get to this. So when he says that it is near you, I believe that he was talking about part of the kingdom, which was himself, and that he was speaking of himself as eternal life to the people, and that they could have that, uh, they could be, if you're in Christ, you're in the kingdom of God. So I believe that he was talking about himself. Okay. But in a conceptual propositional sense, Jesus did not define the kingdom. He really didn't. He did, as, as you were saying, Jonathan, he, he said, it is here. And at one point, you remember in his trial, he said, it's, it's not out here or over there. It's, it is inside you. And then he spent a lot of time saying, now the kingdom is like. He didn't, he didn't say, this is what it is, but he said, this is what it's like. The, you folks are healthcare folks. He was talking about symptoms. He was talking about symptoms of evidences, indicators of what it's like when God is king, when God is in charge, which is the essence of the kingdom of God. And so here are some of the familiar ones that, that you know. What, what, are, what are some of your favorite stories of the kingdom is like? What are they? Like a pearl of great price? What else? A mustard seed, yes. Yes, field with gold in it. You sell everything else and go acquire that field. What else is the kingdom like? Yes, yes. What else? Any others you think of? Like a child's heart, exactly. Kingdom is like a shepherd going to the desert to find a lost sheep. It's like a father loving his son even though this son has really, really, really messed up. It's like a landowner who hired workers throughout the day and paid them all the same. It's like a king who had a wedding banquet and invited everybody. Like children in their humility. It's like the upside-down world where those who serve are the greatest. The kingdom is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. So, what are the common denominators in those the kingdom is like? Well, it's that really simple stuff. 
Love and trust God completely with all your mind, heart, soul, strength, with how you spend your time, who you hang with, with all of your financial resources. I was talking to a guy in our exhibit upstairs a few minutes ago who was blessed to invent a medical product. And right after he first was able to demonstrate that it worked, he was asking God, how much of this do you want? And (laughs) you know how this conversation goes. And... uh, and he felt like God was telling him 50%. 50%? And then God reminded him that it was all his and he was giving him 50%. So, I mean, but the kingdom is like that. And the core of it is loving God completely and loving our neighbors as ourself. I can't wrap my head around loving my neighbors as myself, but that's the nature of it. And his point that makes this such a cosmically significant thing is that Jesus is saying, not only is this world a place where it is safe to love God wholly and love our neighbors as ourselves, he is saying this is the way of this universe. I mentioned E. Stanley Jones earlier. He influenced me back 100 years ago when I was in undergraduate school. And I read his little daily devotional book called The Way. And in it, he's talking. The whole thing is about the kingdom. And he says, there are ways in life that are conspicuously not the way. Because people pursue those ways and their lives are destroyed, then there are ways which Jesus embodied and taught which are the way because they renew life, they restore life, they feed life. And he says, you can, you can choose to violate the, the, the way, but he said that this way that Jesus was talking about in the kingdom is as woven into the fabric of the universe, as is the law, of the law of gravity. You can climb up on top of the tallest building in town and jump off and defy the law of gravity, but you're not going to break the law. You're going to break yourself on the law. And it was in the same way that Jesus is presenting to us that this is the way of the universe, and this is where we find our life and hope. Just a quick sidebar. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are very common in the scriptures. And I know there, there are some people who find that a little uncomfortable because I mean, what do kings typically do? They whack off people's heads and put them in dungeons and lord it over and destroy. And I think a part of Jesus' point is that he is, he is showing the model of of what leadership is about by serving. Some people prefer to use the language of of the way or the reign of God. Whatever the language is most comfortable for you, I think, I'm hoping that you'll agree that that this is is powerful and is is comprehensive. Okay. So, um, Jesus had three years to give birth to a community of the kingdom. 
my, my son um, lives in Los Angeles. He's a professional sound recorder, does movies and infomercials and commercials and stuff like that. And because of that, I think I have been drawn to this passage from Luke's Gospel in which Jesus identifies his mission statement, his identity. Because I could envision, if you really got into it, a, a filmmaker, this being the, the score, the script for a, a, a film play. Um, so kind of live into it for a second here. So Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I think Jesus was in addition, Jesus was simultaneously rolling out, as it were, his personal mission, his vocation, his calling. And he was giving lesson one in what life is like when God is king. Now later, you remember, his cousin John was imprisoned. And here John had invested all of his personal capital in going before Jesus to say, the one who is coming after me is the way. But here John is in prison. His life is at risk. And John sends word by his disciples back to Jesus. And what was his question? Are you the one? Or do we need to be looking for somebody else? Because I'm not in a real comfortable spot here, Jesus. And do you remember how Jesus answered? He answered by describing the symptoms of what life is like when God is king. He said, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. This is what it's like. This is what life looks like when God is king. And I want you to notice what, what seems sort of a, a, a masterful grasp of the obvious. When Jesus was talking about the kingdom, he was talking about life on earth. The prayer that he taught us to pray circles around this prayer, thy kingdom come, which means Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And don't ever again, when you're saying that prayer, say, Thy will be done on earth. It's, not, it's, it's an unbroken sentence because the prayer is, Thy kingdom come, which means Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's about earth. Anybody here from Southeast Christian Church? 
If so, you would know the name Bob Russell. Bob Russell was the, the pastor of Southeast Christian Church for 40 years, give or take. And um, because I personally had been supported by this church in my ministries in Ethiopia and Indonesia and so on, I, I know Bob pretty well. And one day, a bunch of years ago, I was sitting in his office and I was agonizing over my growing sense that I was going the wrong direction, that my sense of the gospel was so focused on the eternal dimensions of the gospel that I was missing some of the fundamental pieces about thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Bob said, Michael, my vision is that 30, 40 years from now, we're going to have researchers from academic institutions and government agencies from all over the country who, are be, who will be coming right here to Louisville to try to figure out why do we have such lower rates of poverty and crime and teen pregnancy and school dropout and spousal abuse and their research is going to take them to the doors of our churches and to the homes where men and women are gathered together and are working together to live into the prayer, thy will be done in Louisville as it is in heaven. And I think that's a, a powerful image of some of what Jesus may have had in mind. Along the way, I studied at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, studied church growth with Dr. Donald McGavern, whom some of you have heard about or read about. And I know we had a lot of talk in the church growth world about reminding our church that our church has a mission. And when we talked about that, most often we were, were thinking about the mission to reach, to evangelize, to, to, to convert. But there was a reminder along the way that, yes, that is true, God's church has a mission, but from a kingdom perspective, we need to recognize that God's mission has a church. Now think about that that God's mission of transforming and healing this, this planet, the people of every tribe and nation, and that transformation and God's purpose, God's, the purpose of God's kingdom has recruited the church, has recruited God's people to, to serve that. So what's our role with reference to the kingdom? I... I remember talking about building the kingdom, but, you know, I don't think so anymore. I don't think we can build the kingdom because it's a gift. What Jesus said was the kingdom of God has come near. I mean, it's already here, folks. And for us, it's a matter of what what were the three steps there? He first declared the kingdom has come near. What was step two? Repent, turn around, turn around, you're headed the wrong direction and believe, entrust yourself to the truth and to the reality of, of God's kingdom. So here, here's the one place that I think is a little bit of academic but I think if you kind of stay with it for a second, I, I think it's really helpful. A number of people, Leslie Newbegin from the UK, a number of other folks have, as they've talked about the ministry of God's people in the church said there are basically three pieces and all of them have to do with the kingdom. 
God calls us, Jesus calls us to be a sign, a foretaste, and an instrument of God's kingdom. Now think of that for a second. What does a sign do? A sign points to something else. And so when Jesus said the kingdom has come near, he was being a sign. He was pointing to. And so we are to be a sign pointing to. This is, there, is a, there is a total new, there is a total way of understanding reality that we've been missing, folks. So point to it. To be a foretaste. What does that mean? Any of you been in agriculture? So you, you know what these test plots are? If you drive through Indiana, Illinois, places in Kentucky, you can see a DeKalb sign. What they're doing is they take a particular corn seed and they're testing it out there. We who are followers of Jesus are to be a foretaste for the world of what life is like when God is king. I mean, think of every sermon in the book of Acts was response to a question from people who were watching these believers and they were saying, what is going on here? I mean, even on the day of Pentecost, when you get these people nine o'clock in the morning acting like they're drunk and people were saying, what's going on here? It's when our lives so disturbingly demonstrate a new reality that people outside are asking questions and our response is to say, folks, this is but a foretaste of what life is like when God is king and an instrument. And that's where I think of healthcare, folks. You folks who are blessed with skills and heart and passion for healthcare ministries, wow, you are agents of God's kingdom. Sort of a, a, a recap sense here. So, so what does it look like in 2014? When God is in charge, when God's kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. We're called together to worship. So one dimension of it is the, the, come, the arrows flowing in. We're called together for worship, study, prayer, community. And we are sent out to announce and then to be agents of God's way. And so here's what the symptoms look like. When God is king, there is equality and fairness and not domination. Now, you're bridging with me, aren't you, that we're not just talking about as religious ideals, but this is what looks what society looks like. Equality and fairness and not domination. Trust and not fear. Now, use this kind of as a, as a measuring stick for what you're seeing in our society right now. The outcasts go first and not last. Generosity rules and not greed. Humility and respect and not arrogance. Hospitality is prominent instead of hatred. Peacemaking and not war. Hope and not despair. Sinners are welcomed and loved. I mean, that includes me. And not judged and rejected. And our energy is for uniting, not dividing, for truth and not deception. Think about that truth and deception factor. Did you happen to watch any political ads over the last... Uh... Okay. 
It's a world where health prevails, not disease and brokenness, where abundance is the recognized reality and not scarcity. How, how is this sitting with you? Does, does this make sense to you? Are you sensing any dissonance with, with this whole line of thinking? Dissonance, some questions? Yeah, good. Because I sure have had them. And I've, I have, I've done just a lot of wrestling, and that's why, this, why we're in this together. Um, you can see a little bit of sort of the quick timeline of my history. I thought I was going to be a U.S. pastor and was successfully for almost two years and then got recruited into international stuff and was in Ethiopia three and a half years and Indonesia seven years and taught in seminary and been in leadership roles in uh, international ministries and missions for over 20 years and a lot of work in evangelism and church planting and um, church growth kinds of stuff. And I do not regret one second of that time and energy that I invested there. But it was in the midst of some of those questions and conflict internally that I had the conversation that I mentioned a few minutes ago with Bob Russell. So a couple of pivotal things came up in the midst of some of the the angst that was already stirring in my belly. I was in a restaurant in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Went in the restroom, and a tract was there. Um, Somebody had left kindly in the in the restroom for me do you know where you will spend eternity and i and that's a very important question i'm i'm not saying anything negative on that i happen to have been aware on that day though that as i came into the restaurant i saw two or three people who i'm sure did not know where they were going to spend the night and I realized in that moment of bringing those two together that the culture of my faith had pushed me to ask which of those is more important. The second story is connected with some of my international stuff. Several years ago, a district health commissioner in Kenya was approached by a mission group who wanted to start a health project um, in his district. And this health, Kenyan health commissioner asked, how will your work be different than the missionaries before you? They built clinics, which are now in disrepair. They converted my people, but my people still live in poverty and disease. And what do these questions say about our understanding of what delights God's heart. What does it say about our understanding of the gospel or the nature of God's kingdom? And here's where I I confess to you, I still got more questions than answers. But I find that in the muddle of the questions, there there is a leaning toward a broader, more cosmic, transformational vision of what the kingdom is. So is the good news that we have personal, private forgiveness of sins and hope of eternity with God? And I would have to say absolutely yes. Is the good news also that God's kingdom has come 
And we are to live into the reality that God's will will be done in Louisville and Evanston and Miami and Bogota and Karachi and Ouagadougou as it is in heaven. So here's where I was asking earlier and you admitted, you know, there's a little nervousness. There's a little, you know, is, are we, is this the right direction? Because, see, uh, this is another way of reframing the question that I was raised to, to believe and schooled to believe that the real heart of the gospel, what's important for me is my personal faith, my belief, Bible study, prayer, worship, purity, and my, my focus on being prepared for heaven. And that was the wrong way on that. And then this other piece comes in, a vision of the kingdom that talks about when God's will is done, everybody has has a home. Kids have enough to eat. Workers are treated right. There's no human trafficking. There's no racism. Even the kids in the low-income communities have a shot as a decent education rather than substandard, and there's no lower class. So again, here my upbringing raises this, oh, brother, is this a social gospel? Man, you're going off the liberal end. (laughs) But what if these are inseparable in the kingdom and both are essential? Both are an expression expression of the, the... amazing love of God and our call to love God fully, as you see in the blue, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So the kingdom transforms everything. And so Jesus wasn't just trying to get us to be to believe the right thing, but to give ourselves to the reality of a universe that is far different than what we had believed and hoped. So, okay, here's a little bit specifically about health care in the kingdom. I'm curious, do, do, do some of you have a pretty solid sense of how you see the connection between God's kingdom and your health care ministries? Yeah? I I think one of the blessings, don't tell anybody, but I think one of the reasons that God has nurtured this Global Mission Health Conference into being is that you folks whose ministry calls you to bring good news to broken and sick bodies have something to teach the rest of us who have tended to isolate our focus and attention to spirits and souls. So thank you for for that journey. You remember when um, Jesus was instructing the 12 on their mission. You remember how explicitly he connected health there. So as you go, this is Matthew 10, preach this message. Right here, he's giving the talking points. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received and freely give. So what's the good news here? What is the good news in, this, in the context of this, this passage? 
the kingdom of heaven is near. And when the kingdom of heaven is near, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and demons are driven out. That's what it looks like when the kingdom is here. And so part of, a part of the, the problem that my uh, uncertainty and scrambling on these issues brings me when I've attended the GMHC before is that I have heard at times an assumption, an, an implicit indication that the reason we do health care mission is in order to be able to share the gospel with people. That, that seems to me to really clash with this vision of the kingdom. And that healing is one of the essential symptoms of what life is like when God is king. Not bad for a non-physician. <laughs> okay, that's good. Good, good for you. Several years ago, I was working with Map International, and um, during the during just the raging um, HIV and AIDS early phase, it, it still is just a horrendous disease, but. Working with some colleagues in Africa, recognizing that HIV and AIDS illustrates the integral nature of human brokenness because the disease brings physical terrible distress and vulnerability. Spiritually, those who are engaging in promiscuity and unfaithfulness, those who are oppressing women and girls, the powerlessness of women and girls, the despair is a spiritual disease. Relationally, it brings alienation from family, friends, and neighbors. Emotionally, those who have it are dealing with horrendous shame and stigma. Economically, they can't work. Nutritionally, they can't eat. They can't afford to feed their families. Their children can't go to school because they got to stay home and tend the farm or do other kind of work. Environmentally, there are no resources for preservation. It is a cyclical and generational disease with children cursed for generations by HIV and AIDS. And it was that if human brokenness is so holistic and integrated, only a holistic salvation will begin to do. So 
it's not news to you that the, the word sozo, the Greek word that's translated as salvation through um, a number of places in the scripture, also means to bring safely or cured or to get well, to be kept from danger or destruction, to be made well, to be preserved, recovered, restored to health. And so the good news, the ministry of salvation is is that broad, is that comprehensive. When I lived in Indonesia, I would often, as driving down the road, come up behind a truck, and there was a sign on the back of the, tur- the truck that would say, um, Utamakan Salamat, over here on the right, which meant emphasize safety. And in the Indonesian New Testament, the name for Savior is Juru Salamat. Emphasize safety. And Jesus is our Savior, the one who makes us safe. I love the model that Dr. Raju Abraham in uh, India put together. They take an approach toward a, 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 spirit, a transformational, holistic, integrated approach. And, and I meant to say earlier, too, if any of you are interested in these slides to be able to pull out stuff like this, uh, let me know. Give me some contact information. I'd be glad to send them to you. But look at that. He, had, he begins with core gospel values of God's relentless love for the poor, the essential nature of health, kingdom ethics, and then has a whole circle that includes on the right essential clinical services, community health and development, primary education, leadership training, spiritual transformation in a continuous circle of God's mercy and good news in that setting. We, those, there were a few of you who were in the session this morning who heard this already, but where I work at Bread for the World, we, we tell this parable often. Um, and you'll likely recognize it too. There was a village that lived alongside a river. One day, one of the women was down to the, at the stream washing her clothes. She looked up, and a baby was floating down the stream. Horrified, she got into the water, grabbed the baby. The next day, the next day, the next day, the next day, a flood of babies floating down the stream. This village was stunned and said, what, what are we going to do here? So they began to figure out how to respond. They had some people who were assigned to walk upstream a little bit and be baby spotters, some others who were water rescue experts, some others who were infant resuscitation experts. They developed an adoption agency. Finally, the time comes along when somebody says, shouldn't we send somebody way upstream and find out how these babies are getting in the water in the first place? And so the... The question for us in our health ministries as we think from a kingdom perspective, is it enough to see and respond to the distress of only of individuals when we can also help multitudes by doing more to explore and try to change the causes of disease and distress and poverty? And, and I want to underscore that as I think of this, it's not an either-or. It's not either 
treat people as in their needs immediately or look for causes and try to change them. I think it is a, it is a both end. The familiar passage from Matthew 25, Jesus separating sheep and goats. The sheep were the ones who, when I was hungry, gave me something to eat. When I was naked, gave me provided clothing. And they, the bottom line of this was when Jesus said, when you did it unto the least of these, you did it to me. And so... When we are in Cote d'Ivoire or um, in Sudan and we see Jesus with Baruli ulcer, love calls us to respond, to treat, to heal. But if we see not just one Jesus with Baruli ulcer, but a village with 25 children with Baruli ulcer beginning to pop out, on them, then that same love pushes us to ask, what's causing this? How do we become agents of change? How do we eliminate those causes? And this applies not just with Baruli ulcer, but we see somebody hungry and love calls us to provide something to eat. And when we come down the road and see this person again tomorrow and the next day and the next day still hungry, then love calls us to ask, why is this person still hungry? What is it that's perpetuating this hunger, this poverty, the need, the brokenness? And God's love calls us to respond. And the biblical biblical notion, again, this is not new to you at all, is, is justice. You remember the prophecy from Isaiah 42 foretelling the coming of the Messiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And the word justice doesn't show up as much in the New Testament, except what is it the Apostle Paul says? The kingdom of God is what? Do you remember that verse? He says the kingdom of God is, most translations say, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The word that is translated righteousness is the Greek word dikaiosune, which also is justice. So the kingdom of God is justice and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's really unsettling for us when we begin to step beyond caring for individuals. You've read this phrase from um, Dom Hel Camara, from Brazilian Archbishop. He said, when I feed the hungry, they call me a saint. When I ask why people are hungry, they call me a communist. Because it becomes unsettling. Every one of us has a vested interest in our own privilege. And most of the time we are blind to the reality that the factors that prop up my privilege are also blocking the door of opportunity for other people. And I'm blind to that. Lord, help me. So the kingdom is a subversive movement. Even in Jesus' time, when he used the language of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, 
That was a politically aggravating statement. Jesus did not get crucified because he was propagating religious ideas, but because he was offering the notion that God's way would upset the privilege of the few and bring life and justice and opportunity to everyone because everyone is a beloved child of God. Walter Brueggemann says, we, we all would like to have a spiritual savior, but guess what, folks? We've got a political one because it, it disturbs, it destabilizes the way things are. In his uh, little reflection on a liturgy of abundance, the myth of scarcity, Brueggemann says, Christians have a long history of trying to squeeze Jesus out of public life and reduce him to a private little savior. But to do this is to ignore what the Bible really says. Jesus talks a great deal about the kingdom of God, and what he means by that is a public life reorganized toward neighborliness or toward loving our neighbors as ourselves. We'll wrap up with a little inspiration from Vaclav Havel, who was dissident playwright who became the president of the Czech Republic. He talked about the power that communism had in its stifling ways. He said it dominated every aspect of people's lives, partly because it wasn't just out there. It was inside them. It was in their heads and their hearts and their spirits, and it looked like it would never change, even though it was based on the lie that you can be happy if you have enough things. And so he and a group of people began to ask, how can we live the truth in a culture that's based on a fundamental lie, especially since the lie is in our own heads? How can we begin to live into the truth? And here's how he described it. He said, people began to get together. People who saw the truth began to get together and set up what he called parallel cultures. He said, we had underground study groups. They studied Plato, drama, music, wrote novels, poetry, published them underground. And he said it was a parallel culture. He said, it was impossible for us to live totally outside the system because you cannot live outside a culture but you can create within it zones and space where you can become who you really are. And notice as you go on down, he said, finally, over time, the truth became stronger and stronger. And at a certain point, people began to walk in the streets and to say to the system that was a lie, we don't believe you anymore. And the system fell not because of the power of Western nuclear equipment, because people said within the system, we don't believe you anymore. It is a vision that had been nourished within those parallel cultures. And so, folks, what, what our task is within the church is not to come together and worship and praise and study to get God to love us, because that's a done deal. God loves us and accepts us as we are, but to so marinate ourselves in the way which is the kingdom of God that 
against the flow and pressure of popular culture, we will have the courage and clarity to live into God's truth, which is God's kingdom, which has come near. And doing so is like swimming up Niagara Falls. It's that difficult. It is impossible apart from the miracle of God's grace and the miracle that God, that Jesus called us together. And the Apostle Paul said that we are the body of Christ, continuing to live in the world the way which is the way. We'll have to stop at this point. Thanks so much. I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, let me just slip to this. Um, some resources where I am. Uh, uh, let me back up. At um, Bread for the World 2601. If you'd like slides, stop by and give me some contact information. And I really would like to hear from you about how what God's telling you as you wrestle with this together. Thanks. God bless.